Happy Halloween and welcome to college football playoff rankings season. Welcome into SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer with John Adams. The, C- the first CFP rankings will be unveiled on Tuesday night. So depending on when you're listening to this, they're either coming up in a matter of hours or you've already seen the rankings. But as we record this, John and I are compiling our own list of top five teams. We'll also take a look ahead to this weekend's key matchups between LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Missouri, also a pretty big one between Texas A&M and Ole Miss. But John, when it comes to overrated, underrated, of which there's going to be much, much debate, I'm sure, in these first college football rankings, it makes me wonder, is there a more overrated holiday than Halloween? I've never been a huge fan of it. I I stopped dressing up when I was like 10 years old, probably. I don't really celebrate it now. I know some people go crazy over it, but I find it to be probably the most overrated holiday in my pecking order. Yeah. Even as a kid, I was never that big on Halloween either. And it's marketed so much now is they just keep pumping it up. I mean, my best Halloween memory was in a went a bar in a bar and and i complimented this woman on her costume but it wasn't a costume that's just how she dressed yeah. oh okay <laughs> yeah a lot of my good memories started in bars too uh so that's uh, maybe a common theme there all right we will get into uh, the the topic at hand of, of getting into the top five and again rankings are out tuesday So you've either seen them or they're coming up. John and I are making our rankings without the benefit of seeing how the CFP committee makes their choices, which is great. We don't want to be influenced by them anyway. Who cares what they think? It's really about what John and I think. So let's start, John. Let's go from five to one. There's five remaining undefeated Power Five teams. So instead of starting at the top, we'll start at number five. Who is your number five in the pecking order? Uh, that would be the Michigan Wolverines, those sign-stealing demons from the Big Ten. Mm. And I didn't penalize them from their for their signage usage. Michigan has been very dominant and may well be the best team in the country. But... I base my rankings pretty much on who's accomplished the most, and Michigan hasn't accomplished that much. It's steamrolling teams, but as you know, if you're playing incompetent teams, they sometimes lend themselves to being steamrolled. So Michigan looks like a complete team to me. And by the end of the season, after it's played Ohio State and Penn State, I might very well have a number one. But right now, I've got a number five. You know, Michigan is very much taking up arms in this us-against-the-world fashion, and they just found one more naysayer to add to the list. John, you'll be <laughs> fueling that uh, Blue and Maze march to the playoff. I guess you're okay with that. Yeah. I, you know, though, I, like I said, I mean, I'm, what have you done for me, late, me lately is my mantra on these uh, – on ranking the top 25 each week when I used to vote in the poll, you voted in the poll. I said, okay, who's done the most? And I just think other teams ahead of Michigan has done more. I mean, I, I don't put a lot, a lot of stock in if you, 
if you beat a bad team 48 to 7 or 34 to 7. Well, under that, what have you done for me lately mantra, John? That brings me to my number five. And I don't know if you're going to like this one because I'm going with Washington at number five. Now, if we were doing our pecking order after the Oregon game, I would have had Washington much higher than that. But what have they done on the heels of beating the Ducks? They barely squeaked past Arizona State, and then they had their hands full for four quarters with Stanford. And we're not talking about two of the the Pac-12's finest here. Arizona State and Stanford are, are a couple of bottom feeders in this conference. And so, yeah, they looked great in one game against Oregon. They're undefeated. Bravo. Um, however, I think of the five undefeated teams, they are the weakest. And I think that's been revealed these past couple weeks uh, when they've had all they want and, and more uh, against two pretty lowly Pac-12 opponents. And, and there's some landmines that await Washington, and I'm not ranking them number five because of that, but this is just on a separate topic. I think there's a loss awaiting them around the corner. They're at Southern Cal this week. Then they're at home against Utah. Then they're at Oregon State finishing up at Washington State. I mean, those are three, excuse me, those are four potential landmines. All four of those teams uh, are better than Arizona State and Stanford. I see your point with that. I just put a lot of stock in the big games. Uh, And Oregon was certainly a big game. That's the kind of team you would play in a playoff game. I think Oregon's a very talented team. And although Washington was at home, I still give it a lot of credit for that win Uh, and probably don't subtract as much for going – not winning impressively against some other teams. Watch a, I watch a lot of Pac-12 football, and the worst teams in that league can beat the best teams. I really believe that in that league. I've watched Arizona's now 5-3. and three. It beat Oregon State. Uh, Utah's done a really nice job playing without its quarterback, Cam Rising, uh, but it didn't fare that well this past weekend. So I, I guess what I – I measure Washington a lot by what Oregon has done since Washington beat Oregon. So, yeah, we'll just agree to disagree on the Huskies. All right. How about your number four, John? Number four is uh, Georgia. And as a, a Southern, as a Southern guy, that's, uh, <laughs> that might seem uh, pretty much like a traitor to some of the folks around here, but uh, – Again, I look at Georgia the same way I do Michigan, a light schedule. I think it's done a little more against in its two best games were against his two best opponents, and it dismantled Kentucky 51-13. Uh, it handled Florida 43-20 to this past week. So I give it credit for that. But, I mean, I think if Georgia wins out, uh, it very well could be number one. But uh, right now, I just don't think it's done as much as some other teams have. John, I'm I'm already brainstorming new possible co-hosts for the podcast. I'm not sure we could have a uh, someone on SEC football unfiltered, SEC football unfiltered, not Pac-12 football unfiltered, and and have them ranking undefeated Georgia in their pecking order. That's it's gonna be a tough sell. Well, yeah, and it's kind of sad. I. I never thought I would be uh, faulted for not being Southern enough, but that's what this ballot looks like. <laughs> However, I put those Yankees from Michigan below the Bulldogs. Give me that's credit true. for that. Yeah. yeah. I 
I think you may have the two best teams in the nation, number four and number five, and you're pecking. I very one. well but, might. <laughs> but I see what you're doing, and and I I actually uh, I, I don't mind the way you're ordering things. I, I think there's something to be said for rewarding teams based on who they've played and, and who they beat. So I see what you're getting at here. Um, I'm going a different direction with this one, and it and it goes against sort of the stance that you're following out of, of who did you play and who did you beat. A lot of times I go that same direction too. Um, when I voted in the AP poll in the past, I, I did like to reward teams that went out and played somebody early in the season and beat them. And Ohio State did that. They won at Notre Dame. They also beat Penn State. I've got two of the best victories of any team in this mix. But I don't know. Maybe I'm putting too much into the eye test because it hasn't been a beauty contest for the Buckeyes. And I know they got those two impressive victories, but it looks like this is a team where a loss awaits them around the corner. Maybe it's Michigan. Uh, maybe they get upset by somebody else. I love Marvin Harrison. He's one of the best wide receivers, maybe the best wide receiver in the country, certainly on the short list. But minus C.J. Stroud, I don't like this team as much as I thought I would. I, I would have had Ohio State as my preseason number one, but I'm not afraid to to reorder my my opinions. And despite their undefeated record, despite their marquee wins, I'm putting Ohio State number four based on a uh, mediocre eye test. And you basing your picks not just on an eye test, but on what you think these teams will do. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I think your ego is too involved in this. Hmm. Well, if my ego is too involved, I'd probably still have Ohio State number one, insisting that I was right all along that they are the nation's best team. Because that's what I said <laughs> at the beginning of the season, was that they were the nation's best team. Um, and I'm not, uh, I've taken uh, it away from that. I'm not enamored with uh, Cal McCord as the quarterback. Me neither. Um, so that's a factor. In the, again, though, I'm doing... Uh, I still rate Ohio State a little better than you do, and I guess we'll go to the, the third pick. And for me, that is Ohio State. Now, hang on here a second, John. You're rewarding teams based on their resume. Doesn't Ohio State have the best resume, a road win at Notre Dame and then beating Penn State? No, that's that's not the best resume? Hang on a second. No, I've already talked about Washington. I like Washington's win over Oregon more than I like Ohio State's win over Penn State or against Notre Dame. Even the combination of the two? Yes, because I'm not sure how good Penn State is. Penn State is pretty good until it gets to a formidable opponent and often comes up short. You so. are watching too much Pac-12 football. John, I know you're a night owl, so maybe that's it. But I, I just think you've become enraptured by the Pac-12. <laughs> I signed off at 3 a.m. this past Saturday or yeah, Sunday morning, however you want to put your, it. Your college football watching may begin once the Pac-12 games start. Uh, okay, so you, I'll sleep you, a lot better. You got Ohio State number three because... You're not, not liking that resume as much as I do, even though I have them number four. Uh, my, my number three is Georgia. We're, we're pretty similar there. You had Georgia four. I have them three. I might have had them four before last week, but maybe it was just firsthand bias because I was in the press box Saturday at Jacksonville and just watched Georgia crush Florida. You know, Florida just breezed down the field on that opening drive, scored, and you thought, oh, Maybe we're going to have something game. on our hands. Yeah, got a game on our hands. And then it was all Georgia from there. As I put it, you know, they Florida poked the bear, and, and we found out what happens 
when you poke bear, bear. Yeah. bear poked back. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was that. thinking after that first drive, I, I often when I'm watching Georgia games, I think about the late Mer- Larry Munson, the legendary Georgia broadcaster, and I could imagine. I could have just imagined his reaction to Florida's really smooth opening drive when it looked like, okay, here we're ready now. This is not the not the same Florida that lost to Kentucky, but uh, Georgia quickly turned that around. So much attention, John, came on one play. I mean, really, one play didn't decide it. Uh, it was decided by the fact that Georgia owned the line of scrimmage. Lad McConkey stepped up for the injured Brock Bowers, quieted some concerns there, I thought. And, and Carson Beck continues to be an improving quarterback. I don't think he's getting enough credit for what he's doing. I know you've you've given him plenty of credit. I feel like others haven't. But you know, afterwards, so much talk came about one play. Florida needed like 18 inches, fourth down from its own 34-yard line, first play of the second quarter. They run a direct snap through Graham Mertz's legs to the the running back who's six yards behind the line of scrimmage on fourth and 18 inches. And Trevor Etienne had a halfback pass dialed up for him on that play. He was, he was, Etienne was supposed to be passing it, but uh, Smale Munden inhaled him within about 0.4 seconds. So he didn't even get to read the field. I, these coaches just continue to astound me, John, like the, the quarterback sneak is still a legal play. You need 18 inches. And even if you don't like the sneak, you really think your best chance to gain 18 inches is a direct snap between your quarterback's legs to a running back six yards into the backfield who's then going to throw a pass. If you think that's your best chance to move the chains when you need 18 inches, you might as well just punt the dang ball. Yeah. What yard line was that again? The 34-yard line. I didn't have a problem with going for it. I mean, it's very risky. You're giving Georgia the ball at the 34 if you don't get it. I just think if you're going for it, you really think that that the highest chance of success is the snap through your Graham Mertz's legs to your running back who's going to throw a pass? It's mind-boggling to me that that's your well, best chance to gain 18 inches. The infatuation with fourth and short and going for it amazes me. I know that's what the analytics say, but coaches are going to lose their job over analytics. When Florida fires gets around a fire and Billy Napier a lot of fans will reflect will reflect back on that play you just described. You you would have been alive for the fourth and dumb situation, John. It predates me, but just knowing a little bit of the history of that rivalry, there was there was the fourth and dumb situation decades ago in a Georgia Florida game. This one, to me, stacked right up there with with fourth and dumb. Yeah, Florida. Uh, Doug Dickey was a coach at Florida at the time, and that was not in a time when coaches were so. Uh, so much in favor of going for it on fourth and short. Um, he wasn't fired that season, I don't think, but he was fired. Maybe it was that season, but it, I know that that was uh, uh, a lot of columnists commented on that decision as columnists do. Yeah, hard to hard to overcome a, a label of fourth and dumb. Uh, that one sort of sticks around for a while, doesn't it? Uh, all right, on to our number two, John. We're, uh, if you're following along, you know we're probably going to have different teams at number two. So who do, who do you have at number two? Well, I have Washington, again, based on that strong showing against Oregon. Um, I think Oregon is really a good team, and Washington uh, was able to beat it in a high-scoring game. 
Would you have Michael Penix as your Heisman right now, John? And, and I know that's a totally irrelevant conversation because what happens in September and October for the Heisman race, I wouldn't call it a moot point, but it is so outweighed by what happens the next five weeks. So maybe it's just a stupid discussion, but it's our podcast. We can talk about what we want. So uh, yeah, you know, would you have Penix atop your ballot at this moment? We've gotten much further off track than that. Uh, no doubt so about it. I don't yeah. think it. Uh, self critique is in order there. Um, no, I don't. I have uh, I have Jaden Daniels of LSU number one. There's a that strong number. No, there's number that southern one. boy. Yeah, a strong number one. Okay. I mean, he's averaging twenty more yards in total offense per game than Penix is. Not that that's the sole reason for do it. LSU's played some good teams. It's lost a couple of games, but the offense and Daniels had nothing to do with those losses. LSU leads the country, I think, in scoring and probably yards per game. Jaden Daniels, and I was kind of down on him after LSU lost that opener to Florida State, but uh, I cannot uh, ignore all the production. I'd probably have, uh, I'd probably have Bo Dix number two. I like, yeah, I like both those guys. I think there's probably four or five reasonable candidates at this point, and we'll gain much more clarity in the next few weeks, because as I said, it, it, whether, whether that's fair or not, what happens in November in the conference championships seem to have such outsized weight for this award. Uh, I'm going with Michigan, number two, John. Um, going against maybe everything I stand for, which tells you I don't stand for it all that much, I suppose. Because <laughs> again, I generally like to reward teams that beat people, uh, you know, beat actually decent teams, and Michigan's schedule to this point has been a joke. It's just been so utterly dominating though. I'm having a hard time ignoring it. Uh, I mean, their average opponents are averaging fewer than six points per game against Michigan. Michigan's averaging 41 a game. And to me, it's not Michigan's fault entirely that the schedule stacks up the way it does. Um, you know, the conference makes the conference schedule and Michigan plays Penn state and Ohio state at the end of it. Now, Michigan, could have scheduled a real opponent in the non-conference and didn't. So I would like to hold it accountable for its scheduling, and maybe I'm doing it that a little bit by not ranking it number one, because I think the eye test would tell you that Michigan's the nation's best team right now, but I just can't put it at number one because they haven't played anybody. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting my eyes and, and letting them tell me that Michigan deserves a top two ranking. I don't know who you are anymore, Blake. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, an imposter. I always thought, like, when we voted in the polls, that we kind of had a similar strategy look for kind of the same things. But you've kind of wandered off on your own now. And, and I'm not sure. I think you make a really good point. What do you stand for? I think that's self inventory there. I think you need to look at that. What do you really stand for? And how strongly do you stand for it? Well, it was just a couple days ago, John, I received an email from a loyal reader who uh, called me an embarrassment to the industry. So <laughs> maybe I just don't stand for anything other than embarrassment. Uh, by the way, look for that email in my email of the week feature in Thursday's column. Uh, it's become a very popular feature of my Thursday columns, that email of the week. I, I informed the emailer that she had a very strong chance of being the uh, email of the week this week. And I don't know that she appreciated that much, but should have yeah, thought twice before clicking send. 
I do, uh, you know, I've got where I do a column each week on my emails and my responses to them. And I've been ripped before. I've done used similar strategy. I've been ripped before in the column and then honored the emailer with saying, hey, you just made the lead item in my email column. Congrats. Even after they reduced me to subhuman levels. <laughs> I wonder how many dollars I'd have if I had a dollar for every time I'd been deemed an embarrassment to the industry. I don't I think really I could like retire, that. but I, I could have a good night out on the town, I think. I really like the wording there, though, an embarrassment to the industry. You know, it's yeah. just, it's kind of all inclusive. Oh, yeah. No, no, not holding back there. Uh, <laughs> all right, John, after you've just disparaged my rankings here, uh, we're going to have the same team at number one. So we've we've taken different paths to getting there, but we've arrived at the same team at number one, uh, which if you've been following along, you've figured out it's Florida State. So, John, you go ahead and make your, your pitch for the Seminoles as number one, and I'll fill in any gaps if necessary. Well, we talk about um, strength of schedule, record, talk about the eye test, uh, talk about big games, and Florida State hits all that. Uh, the way it dominated LSU in the second half of that opener really turned my head. And when I look at Florida State, I don't see any real flaws offensively, defensively, running, throwing, big-time quarterback in Jordan Travis. Uh, I really like that team. Playing yeah. in the ACC, it, it won't – it might not have the kind of games you uh, the schedule is as strong as you would like, perhaps, but by going out and playing LSU on a neutral field in the opener uh, and really dismantling LSU in the second half of that game, that won me over. A couple things. I, I agree about the win over LSU. That's a feather in the cap of the resume. But where I think I'm, I'm uh, convinced even more with Florida State is – They've played better, I think, as the season went along. Um, I mean, they they struggled to against Boston College in Week Three. Uh, you know, that was sort of their just get by game. Uh, they didn't look great against Clemson a week later. Th those were September games, so it's like they they had their shining moment against LSU. They fell off a little bit, and then in October they've just been crushing opponents. Um, so I think they're they're getting better as it goes here. They got the marquee win. Really like the quarterback, Jordan Travis. Um, I think he's got great weapons around him. Trey Benson, the running back's really good. Um, you know, they had a really good wide receiver already in Johnny Wilson. Then they go get Keon Coleman out of the transfer portal. He's one of the best receivers in the country. Defense is pretty solid as well. I don't know that it's Michigan or Georgia level good, but it's pretty darn good. So, yeah, I think this is a well-rounded team that also has the resume to back it up, has the quarterback to back it up. I like Florida State, number one. And I think it's possible, John, that the committee will rank Florida State number one. I think the committee will want to reward the resume. And I think the committee will either go with Florida State or Ohio State because of Ohio State's wins against Notre Dame and Penn State. I think the committee is going to have Ohio State or Florida State number one. Well, if they listen to this podcast, they'll have Florida State number one. They and do they reward re resume, though. If we think back to last year, the first rankings, they easily could have kind of gone with the status quo, 
Georgia number one. They didn't. Tennessee was coming off that win over Alabama, and so the first rankings came out. Tennessee was number one. Georgia was number three. And then we all know what happened from there. Georgia took care of business in Athens and, and order was restored. But the committee's not afraid to change things around from week to week. They're more willing to do that, I think, than, than AP or coaches poll voters. And I think they're more willing to go against the grain and reward a team that has a resume and maybe doesn't look quite as strong on the quote unquote eye test or you know, I think they're willing to put last year behind them a little bit more than like AP voters are. Yeah, I think the committee will have Ohio State number one. I do too. Uh, yeah, I think Ohio State one, Florida State two. Yeah, I, and I don't know what it'll do with Michigan or, or Georgia, but again, how much does this really matter? Uh, the biggest games remain to be played. Georgia's got all these big games coming up. Michigan's got big games coming up. Uh, Washington's got a tough schedule. Uh, there's just a lot can happen in, in the last month, you know, last month of the season. So uh, all of this could change. That's one thing when I was voting in the poll, I never hesitated doing is really shuffling my top 25 from week to week because things could change. And it kind of annoyed me that so many people – well, I got this team. They won. They rank here. I'm not going to drop them down if they if they, you know, if they didn't lose. You know, each week it's a new beauty contest. And 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 what's the prettiest team? Uh, right now, it's Florida State with me. It is how think about this too, Blake. How many times at this stage of the season have you seen a team or teams that you think they're not losing? You look at their schedule. You see what they've done. You, they passed the eye test. You said, I don't see anybody beating, they'll, beating them. They'll finish the season unbeaten. And how many times those teams end up stumbling? Sometimes in the last place you would expect it. All right, John, you mentioned that the big games are still ahead of us, and this is maybe the biggest weekend of the SEC season because we have that much-anticipated LSU-Alabama game in Tuscaloosa, but we also have upstart Missouri – playing in Athens on Saturday. Uh, Kirby Smart, if you listen to his post game after the Florida game, I mean, he, he made Missouri out to be 2020 Alabama. <laughs> he said their, their offense is playing better than anybody in the country. He said they're terrorize, quote, terrorizing opponents. I mean, he, he was laying it on thick uh, for, the, yeah, for, the, for the Tigers. Uh, and then it's kind of a sneaky big game between uh, Ole Miss and, and uh, Texas A&M. Ole Miss still hanging around in the SEC West race, still hanging around in the college football playoff race with just the, the one loss to Alabama and a win over LSU. Uh, but I want to focus in on perhaps the biggest out of those three, John, LSU-Alabama. I wrote this week, and I'm curious what you think of this idea, that there's two narratives that come into this game, but only one can survive Saturday. On the one hand, you have Alabama still alive, still fighting to get to the college football playoff. They have that week two loss to Texas, but Alabama, if they beat LSU, what a resume booster that would be. They could get to Atlanta and would have a game against likely Georgia for the option for, for the possibility of making the college football playoff. So that's one narrative. And I think if Alabama loses Saturday, that narrative dies. You can't lose twice on your home field. It would be to Texas and LSU. You can't lose twice your home field to make the playoff. Um, so that's one thing. 
On the other hand, you have Jaden Daniels Heisman race. As you mentioned, he would be a top your ballot right now. I'd give him a lot of thought to put him atop my ballot. He in the sports books right now is like number three in the odds. It's usually Michael Penix from Washington, number one, JJ McCarthy of Michigan, number two. Those odds change every week. That doesn't really matter. I think with a big performance and an LSU victory on Saturday, Daniels will become the new favorite for the Heisman. However, if he struggles, LSU loses, I think his Heisman chances are all but over. That would be a third loss for LSU. It is very difficult to win the Heisman off a three-loss team in the playoff era. The only guy to do it was Lamar Jackson. Caleb Williams, they finished with three losses last year, but at the time he won the award, they only had two. So what do you think about that, that, that only one of these narratives can survive Saturday? Either Alabama's still got a chance at the playoff or Jaden Daniels for Heisman. Only one can survive. I think that's a very logical take. Uh, despite that emailer who thinks you're an embarrassment to the industry. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think if she listened to that closely, she might change her mind. I, Jane Daniels, and this is unfair in a way, because I remember voting for Lamar Jackson. If somebody, if you, if you have a great season, if you put up big numbers, if you, if your offense is dynamic, that shouldn't, to me, eliminate you from the Heisman. If we wanted to make this a big game award, why did why don't you give it after the entire season, after the playoffs? Uh, that's a story for another day. But uh, Jaden Daniels would have a very difficult path to a Heisman uh, if he lost this game. Uh, and I think in Alabama, with two losses uh, on its home field, yeah, it's out of the championship race. I think the real the uh, long shot here is LSU for national for making the playoff to stay in the running for a national championship. I know the odds are against it, but what I just said about so many things happen in November, teams that we think won't lose, lose teams that have one with only one loss become two loss teams. And that was a crazy ending to the 2007 season that catapulted LSU into the national championship game. And so it won a national title with two losses. But if it it beats Alabama at home, uh, finishes strong, wins the SEC championship game, say beat hypothetically beats an unbeaten Georgia, I, I mean – with a pretty good schedule, I think LSU could, depending on what happened elsewhere, it's not yeah. going to beat out an unbeaten team, but if sure. it came down to LSU and against a one-loss team, LSU might could prevail. I, I would engage with that idea, John. I think two-loss Alabama, I don't think it would matter if they beat Georgia in the SEC championship. I think two-loss Bama would be out because they lost twice in their home field, and Georgia would be the marquee victory I mean, your second best victory, I guess, would be Ole Miss. But I don't think that's as good of a resume as if you beat Alabama on the road and then beat Georgia in Atlanta. I think that is a stronger two-loss resume than what Alabama would have 
um, as a two loss resume, if it were to go on to beat Georgia in the SEC championship. So, so yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's the long shot of long shots, but I would, I would agree with you that LSU maintains a slim chance of the playoff as a two loss team. Whereas Alabama, if it loses a second time, I think it's out end of discussion. Speaking hypothetically, let's say LSU wins out, plays Georgia for the SEC championship. Georgia is unbeaten, LSU with two losses. LSU beats Georgia to win the SEC championship. Do you still put Georgia in the college football playoff? That's where the CFP rankings get kind of interesting, John, because we can say they don't mean anything really, and that's true to a point. I mean, you play your way in based on what happens, but I think if you lose in the SEC championship as number one Georgia, your chance of still backdooring into the playoff is much better than if you go into the SEC championship ranked like number three. You know, if the committee likes, say, Florida State and Michigan more, or Florida State and Ohio State more, and those teams go into conference championship weekend ranked ahead of you, so let's just say Georgia's number three going into Atlanta. They're undefeated, but they're number three behind two other undefeateds. And then you lose? I, I don't know that I love their chances at that point. If they're number one going into that game and lose, I think they'd still be in. So the rankings don't matter up to a point until <laughs> until they do, right? Um, you can yeah. still play your way in, but when you need a little help, it's better to be holding on to that number one ranking than it is to be ranked number three or four. And we, it shouldn't matter, but Georgia, a team that's won back-to-back national championships and it loses one game, uh, and so you you won't let it defend it its national title. I, but it should that shouldn't be a factor, but it might be. Uh, well, I'd I'd add one more thing that could be a factor, John. If Brock Bowers doesn't play in that SEC championship, but Georgia just kind of floats out there. Oh, hey, Brock Bowers would be coming back for the playoff, and that could get <laughs> caught in a committee's mind too, and say, oh, well. If Brock Bowers is coming back, this is a top four team. So, yeah, I mean, there is a a few ways you can go with this, and it is all hypothetical. But point being, I I think as long as Georgia wasn't ranked like in that three or four spot that would make a a loss in Atlanta really dangerous, I think they could probably still get in as a a one-loss SEC team. Blake, doesn't the committee want to honor champions, though? It it said, alluded to that in the past, that – you win your conference championship, a power five championship. They want to honor that and and give credit for that. So they do. Yeah. So it's going to make it, it would put their, their chances in jeopardy. I'll say that. And Georgia has really no one but itself to blame for the schedule. Right. I mean, they didn't play anybody in the non-conference. They'd have a much better chance of getting in as a one loss team if they had some marquee non-conference victory. Now, Georgia can say, well, it's not our fault because we had Oklahoma on the schedule, and because they couldn't complete the home-and-home, that dropped off the schedule for nebulous reasons. No one really explained, well, couldn't you still have played that game, even though Oklahoma is coming into the conference? Like, why why did you have to cancel it? Wasn't the SEC SEC involved in that? I mean, that's what the release says, but Greg Sankey doesn't control Georgia's football schedule. Greg Sankey certainly certainly doesn't control Oklahoma's schedule. I'm still a member of the Big 12. 
So I don't that that to me is just blanket uh, coverage for a decision. I mean, Sankey controls a lot of things, but he doesn't control your non-conference schedule. Well, I think Georgia would have liked to have played Oklahoma. Oh, why didn't it? Wanted to be a good conference member, be a team player. Well, then <laughs> I guess schedule someone tougher than uh, did Ball State fill that? Well, fill, yeah, fill that, that was day. a la- last minute addition, but. The other thing, when I look at Georgia's track record against good teams, I don't think it would have lost to Oklahoma. So, but nothing we can do about that now. Yeah, I'd say if Georgia wants to get in the playoff, uh, better win out, or I don't know, it could make for a nervous, uh, nervous selection Sunday. But I, I'm starting to think they're going to win out. And in, in a week ago, I didn't have that opinion. John, we, just, we sat here and talked a week ago. Will they get through this four-game stretch undefeated? I didn't know that they would. Amazing how much can change after one week. And I know, I mean, Florida's a 6-6 six and six team at the end of the day. They're nothing special. But without Brock Bowers, I needed to see what Florida or what Georgia could do. And we saw it, and Ladd McConkey's healthy now. He was excellent. Georgia didn't skip a beat. Florida's not great. Still a rivalry game, and Georgia left no doubt. So, I'm I'm more I'm more certain than I was a week ago that uh, Georgia is going to roll into the playoff unscathed. Yeah, and I like the way Georgia's offensive line performed in that game. Uh, Oscar Delp, the tight end, uh, he made a Brock Bowers like play on one reception, and the announcers made a big deal about a key block he threw on another. Brock Bowers did that so well. I don't think Brock Bowers is going to play anymore this year. Hmm. That's a tough injury to come back from in a short period of time. If he did come back, I don't think he'd be 100%. John, should Missouri be America's team? (laughs) Missouri with the chance to uh, spoil Georgia's season on Saturday. And Missouri's always in sort of that plucky underdog role, often disrespected often disrespected by you. You're driving the bandwagon this year, but you've tried to kick them out of the SEC like 27 times. Uh, they've got the uh, they've got the Division II transfer, Cody Schrader, who who went to my alma mater, Truman State, leading the way in, in rushing. they got Brady Cook, who was pretty well written off as an SEC quarterback. Uh, he's playing as well as any quarterback in the SEC, not named Jaden Daniels. Eli Drinkwitz, he's got his chest puffed out. I'd, I'd left him for uh, as a coach and coach and waiting to be fired around this time a year ago. And uh, Drinkwitz punches back, says, uh, how do you like me now? He's the, uh, the toast of the conference. I, I mean, I guess no one really is getting behind this idea, but I feel like Missouri could be kind of America's team. Like TCU last year became America's team, right? They were, they were the, the uh, the underdog all the way to the playoff. Well, Missouri's not going to make it to the playoff, but it does feel like they're kind of filling that void of not much was expected from them coming into the season. They got this Division II transfer who's a star. Kind of a neat story, I think. Yeah, it is a neat story, and uh, I it, it's a great underdog story. Um, it's just hard to think of. Missouri gave Georgia a lot of, lot of problems last year. Nobody really knew why, 
it was one of those inexplicable games that happens sometimes in college football. Of all the teams you might have picked to to press Georgia deep into the fourth quarter, Missouri wasn't on the list, not even close. Um, now that Missouri is uh, playing so much better, it's nationally ranked. It's a it's a contender. Uh, I think Georgia won't overlook it. There's no danger of that. So it could bring out the best in, in Georgia. One thing I've – I thought about this in the Florida game, and it's worked out well. I, I It's hard to fault anyone who's won 25 consecutive games. I think the game reaches a certain point with Kirby Smart, and he says, okay, we just want to wrap this thing up. We're, we're not trying to – we're not going for style points here. We just want to wrap it up, win the game, and I will coach accordingly. I think Missouri has a really good offense, and I wouldn't want Georgia to take its uh, foot off the accelerator too soon in this game because Missouri can score quickly. Um, and I think that's, to me, the only scenario that could get Georgia in trouble if it's got a 17-point lead going into the third quarter and Kirby gets really conservative and he's handing the ball to John Wagner and uh, going between the tackles and limiting the passing game, I think Missouri has, is capable of coming back. We saw it come back against Kentucky. I know Kentucky isn't Georgia, but still, it was down 14 to nothing and one going away. So that's the only... That's only the good scenario I can see for Missouri in this game. All right, well, let's get into the picks, John, and some breaking news. You have surged into the lead. You have a half-game lead over me in the drive to 500, or maybe it's the drive to about 450 winning percentage. You went 3-3 three and three last week. Your overall record, 22-27-2. and two. I went two and four last week. I'm 22, 28, and one. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm for the first time all year, I'm not in the catbird seat. Feeling comfortable with your half game lead? Uh, not at all. Uh, neither one of us are, uh, you know, gaining a lot of followers, a lot of better say, hey, let's check out that podcast before we pick our games this week probably ignoring everything we're doing. I think your emailer who referred to you as an embarrassment to the industry would not be shocked that you've blown a big lead in our race to a championship. I think she would say, huh, yeah, just what I figured. Uh -huh. She'd look uh, so, at my record and say, how embarrassing. Yeah, as I look at the way we do this, Blake, a, a recommendation for next year, I would really like to see you do away with the lock of the week. Mm. I'd really like to see us pick these games uh, on Friday instead of Monday afternoon when we record this. But that's just an excuse, and you and I don't like to make excuses. So we'll make our picks instead, and we're going to start with the, uh, the Mediocrity Bowl, the battle for the middle, Kentucky, three-point favorite at Mississippi State. I'll let you uh, lead things off here as our new first-place uh, positioner. I was more impressed watching Kentucky lose last week with Kentucky, watching it lose, and I have been all season with the Wildcats. Uh, 
Devin Leary looked like the quarterback of 2021 at NC State when some people were uh, promoting him as a future NFL first-round pick. Just made one NFL-like throw after another in that 33-27 loss to uh, Tennessee. Um, you you add Ray Davis to that. They've leaned heavily on Ray Davis's running uh, prior to Leary's uh, career game, really. Uh, so now I see a more versatile offense with Kentucky. And I don't think Mississippi State, uh, I don't think all the cowbells in the world can uh, produce enough points for Mississippi State in that game. So I'm going with Kentucky. Yeah, it's been pretty bleak offensively for Mississippi State. That's that's for sure. I, I will go with Kentucky as well. Completely agree on Devin Leary. John, Kentucky looked pretty decent in defeat. And I mentioned that this is sort of there, – there's a lot of teams messing around kind of in the middle to lower end of this conference, and there doesn't seem to be a ton of separation between some of these schools, but I think there's some separation. And I think Kentucky's much more toward the middle – of the SEC than Mississippi State is. So I think Kentucky wins. I think they cover the three points on the road. Moving on, we have Arkansas. Mm, Six-game losing streak for Sam Pittman's Hogs. He's he's fighting it right now. Arkansas is a five-and-a-half-point underdog at Florida. I'm going to take Florida in this one. I think it would be easy to say after what happened Saturday, um, you know, go with Arkansas here, but I chalk that more up to Georgia than really anything. I mean, Arkansas would have met a very similar fate at the hands of Georgia on Saturday. Probably would have been even worse because Arkansas can't score. So they Arkansas's fired Dane Enos. Be curious to see how much of the problem that solves. My guess is not a ton. And so I will take Florida to cover the five and a half at home. Florida's not been good away from the swamp this year. They have been pretty good at home. Watching Arkansas uh, quarterback K.J. Jefferson in its last loss, he looked really dejected, and I can see why. This was a – I think he had a really good reason to be optimistic about this season. He – you know, he's a a good quarterback, good runner. He can throw it, uh, but he hasn't had a lot of times. Like so many teams in this league, Arkansas has been challenged in the offensive line, and – Six straight losses. I, I think it's hard to come out of that tailspin. When you're in a tailspin like that in, in the SEC, your opponent's just uh, blood in the water type thing. Uh, I mean, they're just coming after you. They said, this team is down. We are going to keep them down. We will kick them repeatedly when they're down. And so I like Florida, too. Uh, right now, Florida's quarterback's playing better than Arkansas is. So are Florida's running backs. Uh, Florida's receivers are pretty good, too. Uh, It's a much better-looking offense than I thought it would be. Its defense is kind of shaky, but so is Arkansas. So I'll go with the Gators as well. Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Ole Miss, four-and-a-half-point favorite. Lane Kiffin has, has tortured Jimbo Fisher the last couple years. Ole Miss sitting with just one loss to Alabama. Beat LSU. As we record this, we don't know where the Rebels will be in the college football playoff rankings, but how seriously do you take Ole Miss's chances to win the West? How seriously do you take their chances uh, as a college football playoff contender? Now, the the one caveat or or the one 
explanation I'll add before you respond, John. For Ole Miss to win the West, Alabama, they'd need to lose twice, right? Because Alabama has the head-to-head with Ole Miss. So it's much better for Ole Miss for their chances in the West if LSU win Saturday in Tuscaloosa because Ole Miss has the head-to-head tiebreaker with LSU. Yeah, um, Ole Miss is the bigger problem for Ole Miss. It has to be Georgia in Athens at Sanford Stadium, and that that would be hard to do. Uh, however, when I watch Ole Miss now, I think of it as a more complete team. I've seen I've seen Ole Miss win with defense this year. Uh, go back to the LSU game, and it looked like there was no defense. Each team was playing with eight eight or nine defenders, and it was uh, just a wild scoring fest. But I think Ole Miss is better as for the whole season. It's been better defensively. So, um, I, you know, I, I won't say it has no chance. I just think, though, how's it going to get by Georgia and Athens? That's the challenge to me. Yeah, and, and then your prize for winning the West would be facing Georgia a second time. <laughs> you know, like Ole Miss's best chance at the playoff to me, and, and this looks incredibly narrow, would be somehow stunning Georgia in the regular season. So you're sitting at 11 and one, but you don't win the division. Let's say Alabama wins out. Alabama's got the head to head with Ole Miss. So Alabama wins the division. Ole Miss is sitting in the clubhouse at 11 and one, and then Georgia wins the SEC. And so Ole Miss could say, hey, we're 11 and 1. We're the only team that's beat Georgia. Why not us? If, I, I, yeah, get in the clubhouse at 11 and 1 and then say, nah, Alabama, you go to Atlanta. We'll, we'll, we'll hang out here in Oxford and, and see what happens. <laughs> it's an incredibly narrow path, but that's, that's maybe the only path I see for Ole Miss making the playoff. But looks much more to me like a Cotton Bowl type of team, which is still pretty high praise for Ole Miss. Yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, I just don't see it getting past Georgia. But if it did, I mean, whoever beats Georgia, if anybody beats Georgia, that's going to do wonders for its resume when the selection committee looks at it. Because nobody's been doing this. And mm-hmm. so you would really distinguish yourselves. You would stand out. Um and it also has an, a win over LSU, which looks good. So if LSU would beat Alabama and uh, Ole Miss wins out, uh, maybe just beats Georgia twice. I think if you beat Georgia twice, you're pretty much in, aren't you? Yeah, you're, you're, you're in at that you're point. You're 12-1 and one with two wins over Georgia. You're in. You're in. You are in. So. So I think that's a credit to Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss that at this juncture of the season, going into November, Ole Miss is still a player. And it, and it just goes to show how many more teams the 12-team playoff is going to bring into the conversation. We're talking about like, well, if this happens and this happens and this happens, maybe Ole Miss can get, to, get into the four-team playoff. It's a 12-team playoff. We're talking about, yeah, this team takes care of business even if it loses to Georgia goes 10 and 2 they're probably in the playoff. Well, let's make a pick here, John. They're four and a half point favorite against Texas A&M. Uh, I'm going to take Ole Miss to cover the four and a half. How about you? Yeah, I am too. I, 
I just don't like A&M anymore. I don't even like watching them. I was, it, it baffles me how you can have that much talent and be as less productive as, as A&M has been. Uh, I think Anaya Smith, the receiver, as a punt returner, is one of the most dynamic players in the country. And I know he caught six passes last week against South Carolina, but that's South Carolina. I just don't think uh, Texas A&M has, has gotten the ball to him nearly enough. In fact, I would put him at running back. I'd play him at run. I'd probably hand it to him six or seven times as a running back. He's just so dynamic. He makes people miss. And he's one of those rare guys who can make cuts at full speed. All that said, I just don't think. And I'm off the Max Johnson bandwagon, too. That's the second he, time he, now you've you've offloaded from that bandwagon. Yeah, I know. Fool you once, fool you twice. Yeah, he's just, I don't know. It just seems like he's taking longer and longer to get rid of the ball. I know he doesn't have a uh, a good offensive line, but this isn't a touch, a tough man competition. You don't get points for getting hit back there after you've held the ball too long. Uh, he needs to watch some Peyton Manning video. See how it looks to get rid of the ball quickly. All right, so we're in lockstep for three games here, John, picking the same teams. That ought to be a warning sign. Uh, I'm going to fold these last two into one because we've talked about LSU, Alabama, talked about Missouri, Georgia. The lines for these games, uh, LSU is a four-point underdog at Alabama. Missouri is a 16-and-a-half-point underdog in Athens, and I'm taking the underdogs in both. Uh, Missouri's not going to win at Georgia, but if you're going to give me 16 and a half points with that offense, I think they can have enough success to, uh, to hang around a little bit. And Alabama LSU feels like a coin flip game to me. Uh, I picked Al- uh, excuse me. I picked LSU in this game before the season. I think I probably lean Alabama at home right now, but if I get LSU in four points, I'm taking the four points. So I'll take the dogs, uh, the underdogs, uh, in both these games with the points. Yeah, it's kind of scary how similarly we're both thinking on these games, which uh, means we'll probably both end up about two and four, two and five. <laughs> yeah. um, I um, I like LSU to win that game outright. I just don't think Alabama can keep up with it. So I certainly take LSU in the points. Uh, Missouri, Georgia, I just... I know how well Georgia's played against good teams, and I could see a blowout here, but I think back to last week, uh, I thought it was going to win that game by 38 points, and it ended up winning it by 23. So I could see Georgia leading uh, by 23 tw- points or so, and, and Missouri getting scoring late after the game's been decided. That Kirby's playing it conservatively, just want to keep winning. The game's in hand. I'm not worried about the point spread. I'm not worried about a podcaster's race for a championship. We'll just shut it down right now. So I'll take the points in Missouri. Yeah, Jimbo Fisher was not worried about a couple of podcasters' records last oh. week. I was hoping he'd add oh. on a, a, a last-minute field goal. I mean, he was, he's in range for a chip shot that no. would have covered the spread. Uh, no, Jimbo uh, took a knee, got out of there with a 13-point win. That was fine for him, but added another loss onto our resume. He didn't want to embarrass another coach, I guess is what it was. Shane Beamer's already embarrassed himself so much. What's the what's the point? I mean, he, you go around kicking Gatorade coolers and breaking your foot. I 
I think he's uh, is your emailer might say an embarrassment to the, to the industry. industry. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start using that in, in, in any opportunity. I, actually, I really like that line. Our lock of the week. Uh, Pat Narduzzi, John, when asked to explain Pittsburgh's 2-6 and six record this year, I'm paraphrasing, but he said his players stink. That'll rally the troops. Yeah. Well, those comments <laughs> those comments got back to his players. His players are now aware their coach thinks they stink. And Pittsburgh's prize this week is hosting 8-0 Florida State. Florida State's 21-point favorite. I wish it was 20 and a half. I'm worried that, that uh, Florida State's going to win by 21 points on the nose, and I'll be left with a push. But uh, the quickest way to make your players quit on you when you're the coach of a two and six team, I think is to tell them they stink and not to just tell them that privately, but to say it publicly. So I will take Florida state to cover 21 points against a team that, uh, Pat Narduzzi says stinks. Well, um, and maybe his team does stink. We, I think they do. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's I, right. I think he's I don't right. know if I can tell him that. <laughs> uh, it's not a rallying cry. In fact, when I looked at that, I wondered why in the world is, uh, aren't they a bigger favorite? Uh, so I almost picked that game. But I'm going, I'm going to the team, going for the team that made Pitt stink. Uh, Notre Dame. It looked like... Uh, the four horsemen were riding again against uh, Pittsburgh. Hmm. Um, so I will give, uh, I think the line is Notre Dame and Clemson. I think Notre Dame's a two and a half point favorite. Is that what you have? That's what I have. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll take uh, Notre Dame. I'm trying to end what I think might be a five game losing streak on locks of the week. Hmm. Unlock of the week. This is the unlock of the week. Uh, my picks have been an embarrassment to the industry, and I apologize to all those folks who followed my advice. But really, I mean, could you could you really be that stupid? I don't think so. But if you want to see more embarrassment on Saturday, find out what channel South Carolina is playing on. Otherwise, you can come back and find us here on SEC Football Unfiltered. Thanks for listening.